this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, it's another poll episode. Poll, poll, poll. Poll, poll, poll. Democracy in action. <laughs> That's what we like, Jay. We're, we are a pro-democratic podcast. And we like to exercise that. There's no electoral college. It's straight I mean, whatever the votes are. Right. Uh, you know, because, you know, one time uh, one of our albums won the, the popular vote, but the electoral college gave it to a different album. And uh, we had to do Blues Traveler. We weren't happy about it, but Blues Traveler won the electoral college. And uh, uh, that we, we stopped that. We put an end to that. <laughs> Blues, Blues Traveler is the one you put you pulled for that. Yeah. Okay. I know you're a big John Popper fan. <laughs> I see where your walls are <laughs> built. Well, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I did it back in the day. Uh, I I enjoyed some uh, some run around. <laughs> uh, I believe I own that CD. <laughs> crazy so for our august poll jay we had a lot of good options let's let's run through them right here gary moran suggested daniel johnston's artistic vice joshua robles suggested the self-titled album by deconstruction richard waterman suggested the self-titled album by replicants mike steinmetz suggested your body above me by black lab lars suggested the self-titled album by goodness Doug Ald suggested The Moon, My Saddle by Chamberlain. And uh, Maria Michelangelo suggested Dummy by Portishead. And lastly, Pedro Piera. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, but it's the best I can do. Suggested Higher lo- High Slash Low by Not A Surf. I was completely wrong about how this poll went. I, sh- I thought based on our fandom and, and some of the stuff that they like that a certain album was going to win and it didn't even come in second or third. So what I, I know nothing. Album? Well, I thought it was going to be replicants. Oh, oh because yeah. of the failure connection yeah. and tool connection. Yeah. We got a lot of failure and tool fans. Uh, so the, the voting ended up, Black Lab came in last. Uh, Goodness and Chamberlain tied for second last. Then there was Daniel Johnston. In fourth place was the Replicants album. Tied for second place was Deconstruction and Not a Surf. And then the winner was Portishead's Dummy, the debut album from 1994, Jay. I know you know of this record, right? You're not, you don't have a blind spot to Portishead. <laughs> I know that I actually own this on CD. Really? 
Yeah, this was uh, this is probably also why I own the um, Blues Traveler. Um, I, I got into the, I think at the time it was the BMG Record Club or BMG whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, in the late '90s, and got yeah a bunch of a bunch of records that were of that time or maybe a couple of years earlier. Nine for a penny. Yeah. <laughs> like it was actually once you got in, it was a pretty good deal. But yeah, you get to the point where like, okay, I gotta I gotta pick three more CDs. You're like, I don't know. I like so I think this for me, this was yeah, this kind of sounded interesting. So I'll see what the record's like. Have you heard the other two records? Uh you know what? I don't know. I know the the um the self-title looks really familiar, the album cover. Mm-hmm. Um so I probably like spun it um, here or there just to see what it sounded like, but uh, I haven't spent any time with them. I uh, I own this one on CD and I own the second one on vinyl, which I picked up randomly at like a half price books not too long ago. Well, not actually, it was long ago. It was probably like last year, which seems like seven years ago. Um, <laughs> And I also own, so they put out a, a live album called, uh, I think it's called Roseland uh, and Roseland. Yes. And that they recorded, you know, songs from the first two records, but they did it with a live orchestra or Mm. or string section. I I, not an entire orchestra, but a string section. And then their, their third album, which is called Third, came out in 2008. This one came out in 94. The self-titled came out in 97. And Third, after they were on hiatus for a number of years, 99 to 2005, that is when Third came out. Beth Gibbons has done stuff on the side, as well as Beth Gibbons being the lead singer of the band. And then the other members are Jeff Barrow. Um, they are the two like founding members and then they added Adrian Utley and they have a a third or a fourth member, Dave McDonald, but he is their, um, engineer, but he was so heavily involved in like creating the sound that they consider him a member of the band, even though he doesn't play an instrument on the record. Uh, as far as awards go, this did pretty well. This won Album of the Year in 1995 at the um, Mercury, won the Mercury Prize. Boom. So the Mercury Prize is, you know, it's a big deal in the UK. It was up against, this is, you know, prime UK music going on in 1995. It was up against, um, Oasis, What's the Story, Morning Glory, Tricks, Tricky's Max and Quay, which is his debut album uh, after leaving. I don't know if he left or if it was just a, as a side project from Massive Attack, but he was originally with Massive Attack. And then um, what was the other record? I think, oh, PJ Harvey, To Bring You My Love. Hmm. So it beat yeah. those records. Wow. That's a pretty strong crowd of of records from that were released in 94 and that one in 95. Um, the it's, you know, ranked in top 50, 25, 10 lists for 
enemy Q, Rolling Stone, Spin, Pitchfork, all those sorts of places. Um, Sour Times made it to number five in the U.S. on the U.S. Modern Rock chart and number 53 on the overall chart, which is interesting because it only made it to number 13 in the U.K., so it actually did better here as a single, but mm. it's the only single for them that charted, whereas in the UK, they have uh, one, two, three, four, five top 50 singles and four top 25 singles. And uh, the album also charted, or the uh, the singles also charted in Australia, in Belgium, Canada, basically all around the world. And then as far as album charting, um, this went to number two. Actually, all of their albums have made it to number two in the UK. Which is not uh, not too shabby. This makes right. number, number 79 in the US. Triple platinum um, in the UK. Gold in the US. So... Not uh, not too shabby. Comments, Jay. We have comments. Do you have them up for uh, Patreon? Um, I believe so. No. Um, yes, I do. You want to alternate here? There's a, there's a couple of them. There's more than a few. We could try. All right, I'll, I'll I'll start at the top. Eric Peterson says Portishead or not a surf will win because they are the party stars. Oh, they are popular. <laughs> Yeah. I voted for Black Lab because best cover art and I know nothing but about them. And a quick listen of the video, linked video, put me in mind of something, something deep and something black rather than blue. I don't know what that means, but. <laughs> I remember that Black Lab record. I, I would like to revisit it. I didn't realize, I actually didn't realize it was a 90s record. I thought it was later than that, but uh, hmm. um, hopefully it comes back. Scott Witt, I went with Deconstruction. I remember liking that album when it first came out. Thought it was a nice departure considering who the band was. And if you don't know, the band was Eric Avery and Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction. Um, it's basically what they went and did, uh, what they went on to do right when Jane's broke up. Yeah. Kyle Bittner said, not a surf all the way. Portishead is already a guaranteed full album. Well, we'll see about that. Curious to see how Not A Surf pans out. Popular is a fun tune. But one of the weakest on the album. Hope you feel the same. I don't know. We'll get to it at some point, maybe. We've already had Not A Surf on this on this podcast, so. Right. Uh, In fact, I like had we've a, ignored them. In fact, when I put the poll up, I had to double check and make sure it was the, the, <laughs> it wasn't the album we had our review. I was like, this, wait a minute. And I was like, okay, we did the other one. Uh, Sean Brown, another really tough poll. As uh, I always re- was really into that Portishead disc, the Black Lab album was always a head scratcher, and this particular Not a Surf effort really didn't didn't do much for me either. Uh, that said, I went with Deconstruction, another another vote for Deconstruction. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird, awesome album that really warrants an episode. As I have an as I have an idea what you guys will make of it. Admittedly, I was never a huge Jane Sky. Navarro was always a tough sell for me as a player. However, this record includes some, some of the most inventive playing he's ever laid down. Hmm. Okay. Crazy record all around. That could have come from the that it could have only come from the 90s. 
I don't think I've heard that record in a long time. Yeah, me neither. I remember listening to it in the 90s, but I yeah, don't I, remember it all. I remember listening to it when it came out. But David Gorgos, I remember seeing the cover of Goodness and thinking it looked awful, so I never listened to it, so I'm voting <laughs> for digging it out now. To which John Seaman replied, Haha, I grabbed the album for a dollar out of the bargain bin a few years ago because of the cover art. I never really cared for the album, but Mike McCready guests on the last song, so I guess that's cool. Mm. And then John went on to say, I voted for Not a Surf. I'm a big fan of theirs, but this is definitely not my favorite album as I think the songwriting is lacking. The production is too abrasive and some guitar parts are just odd. For example, when the guitar in the intro for Icebox goes from the distorted to the to like a boss metal zone distortion (laughs) (laughs) off and on in the middle of the part that being said standout tracks for me are stalemate treehouse the plan and of course popular yeah that was kind of uh who we have to blame for that radiohead or oh that boss metal zone (laughs) everybody was starting to get creative with the uh boss metal zone that was kicking around in their uh (laughs) in their closet that they hadn't used for uh, 10 years. They're still yep. popping them out and trying to figure out how to put distortion on top of distortion. Scott Hallgrim. I feel like I've seen that De- deconstruction album cover a bunch, but I had no idea what it was. So that's what I'm voting for. I had determined that before clicking through where I found out that, yeah, Scott's voting in a block again. The Scots are voting in a block again. Yes. <laughs> the Scott block is back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Gavin from Australia. I've never heard of Daniel Johnson before, but your blurb made me want to know more. So, uh, that's what I voted for. Um, so if you're making a submission, keep in mind, write a good blurb. It might help your cause. There you go. Richard Waterman. Good poll. It was hard. It was a hard choice between deconstruction replicants and black lab. Since I suggest replicants then I'm sticking to my original choice, the Deconstruction album is just a bit too long and could do with trimming. It could also do with a remaster, I think. I love the song Iris off the album, though Black Lab reminds me of my school days. A bit post-grunge in some ways, but also indie rock too. It has some good tunes and the production is really good. Replicants is half failure, which is always a good thing. Just what I needed and Destination Unknown are better than the originals, I think. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. I, I don't, you can't, that, uh, that's not on streaming, right? I, th- I think I'm nope. trying to find this record. I can't. Okay. I've actually never heard it. So you've never um, heard that record. No. Wow. I've never heard that record. Ooh, I can't believe it. <laughs> uh, uh, Dave. O. I voted for Portishead. All right. Finally, somebody, somebody, I remember at the time, I remember at the time they were absolutely massive. Tim covered that. They were many credits touting them as the future of music. Uh, I would be interested to hear your opinions and where the album stands up today. Were they really that good or just part of the whole trip hop genre that was big at the time? That's a pretty good segue for us. Yeah. Should uh, have, David, we should have made that one last. Yeah, we, if we thought ahead, we would. <laughs> David Gorgos in nineteen in New York City in nineteen ninety five, every single damn store was playing Portishead and Delight. It was inescapable. <laughs> Thank goodness it was good music. I'll agree. If I walked into a record store and they were playing Grooves in the Heart by Delight, I'd be in a pretty good mood. So yeah. I'm not gonna complain about that. Steven Muzinski, this poll is chock full of gems uh that I know as well as things I'm not I am now very intrigued by, namely deconstruction. 
Uh, I'm surprised you didn't know that record. Uh, looks like dummy has the, has this one in the bag though, which kind of bums me out because I much prefer the OG mission of dig me out. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely revere Potter's head, but this is a worthy album undisputedly. Oh, really? Maybe there could be more bonus content talking about the contentious third record. It is contentious. Aaron We're said my th- the third. <laughs> no, my thoughts are pretty much exactly what Steve M has written. So my vote going with deconstruction and hoping they get a few more and can sneak over the line, though I won't mind hearing you guys review Portishead if they hang on and take the win. I, I did think deconstruction was going to get it. I thought it was just threaded the needle for like had enough pop, uh, popular culture reference, but obscure enough that it just fit perfect. But you know, this is why we don't pick the records. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad Darren Lehman, I'm glad Portis had won this. They are so unique. When dummy came out, I remember seeing them perform on SNL. I've never seen or heard anything like that before. They were melodic, hypnotic, fresh, and unique. This album represents a fascinating snapshot of an electric time and an alternative rock music. Eclectic. Yes. What did I say? Electric? <laughs> he said electric, it was which electric. isn't even a word. You you were in between. It's an elective. It's an elective. Hey, uh, while we're talking about our patrons, we need to welcome three new patrons. Paul Richardson, Gary Kalmack, and Gabriel Gutierrez. Welcome. Thanks for joining us and supporting the podcast. We appreciate you. We say your name. We say your name. (laughs) We speak your name. We speak your name. (laughs) It's a deep cut right there if anybody gets that. All right, Jay, let's talk some Dummy by Portishead. Tell me one thing you liked about this record. Well, it's thick in atmosphere. Uh, It definitely projects a mood. um, You know, uh, maybe I'm biased from the album cover, but it 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 feels blue to me. This record, Um, just when you close your eyes, it's sort of uh, seems like a you know smoky, dim lit lounge uh, covered in blue paint. Like you just get this. Uh, really clear emotive sense from it. Um, and then, you know, just it's constructed in a, uh, at least what at the time was a, was a pretty novel approach using samples mixed with live instruments. Um, it kind of creates um, a little bit of a kind of a throwback nostalgia kind of feel. Cause some of the instrumentation and things they're using have kind of a, jazzy 60s kind of tone to them whether it be horns and strings or jazz drum kit sounds um so it it gives us this sense that you know it's obviously at the time was very modern sounding but it it harkened back to something like it had references to things that were familiar um so just sonically you know it was i think in a place that was obviously original for the time uh, you know, and it's held together by the vocal, which uh, can can be um, at times, you know, it's competing, I think, with what's going on musically, but it's really strong. It, it's got a lot of 
different sounds. You know, she can be kind of sultry. She can be whispery. She can do a falsetto. She can, you know, be soulful, like melodic, moody, like covers a lot of ground that um, I think obviously complements the music um, really well. So, uh, you know, I think the the quality of the vocal is what makes this, I think, unique. Otherwise, I think you just have a kind of a, you know, an experiment, more of an experimental record. But I think what makes it more of a pop record is her the songwriting to some degree, but more, I think, the vocal quality and melodic sense to it. So, yeah, I think the um, the creativity um, is, is here, uh, I think it is held together by having enough live instrumentation and um, sort of organic sense from the vocal that I think it, you know, it still works now um, largely. Um, But yeah, it's definitely, um, I think at the time was pretty groundbreaking and you can still hear that. Uh, You can hear that now. I'm so tired of playing I want to read a quote. It's a very short quote. Uh, the idea that this is a beloved record by everyone is actually yeah. not true. Um, Robert Christo, the the dean of American music criticism, the man who so many records are made and broken by, did not really care for the record. He His review was lukewarm. He said, it sounded like Sade for androids. <laughs> yeah uh so i just wanted to throw that out there because everybody was like oh that everybody loves that record everybody you know maybe yeah. in hindsight but when this came out it was it, it was well received by some but it was also divisive um i responded to it and i still do because of its melding of so many interesting influences i mean you have beth gibbons who has this great evocative voice that you hear like you hear Liz Frazier from the Cocteau twins, but then you also hear like Billie Holiday and Edith Piloff. You hear like these classic, you know, vocalists, you know, 1930s, 40s, 50s vocalists. And then you have Jeff Barrow, who's sort of the mastermind of, of this along with, um, um, Adrian uh, Utley, who are taking an, a really, like you said, you know, it's it's more commonplace now to use live instrumentation with samples, but it, it was not back then. I mean, the only other band I can think of was doing that on a on a commercial level with the Beastie Boys, where they were playing live instruments and sampling live instruments on "Chuck Your Head" and and um, uh, the follow up "Bill Communication" that. 
were actually successful with it. There's like there's underground and and maybe lesser known artists, but you have them taking like 1970s soul records and sampling them, but laying on this layer of like dust that sounds like it's the soundtrack from a spaghetti western that Anina Morricone would have, um, you know, done did the soundtrack for, and then there's a lot of influence of of um. 70s like i said the 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 soul because of the loops and you can hear it in the in the bass and the snares and stuff like that but there's also then stuff like there's a lot of very ambient and a lot like uh down tempo electronic stuff that can be traced back to the people like brian eno and others in that space that we're creating these soundscapes. I mean, if you take Beth Gibbons out of the equation, these are still really interesting musical beds that they're creating. Her adding her is what puts it over the top in terms of its uh, uniqueness, but they're drawing from so many different little weird bits and pieces. There's some, a lot of like four AD stuff from the, like I mentioned the cocktail twins, but like dead can dance and, stuff from the from the 80s and then her vocal of doing these very traditional sounding and even more so on the second record uh, stuff like all mine um sounds like it is from a like a 1950s bond or 60s bond movie it has like this big brassy you know what i mean well, I think sour time to me, sour times and glory box have a bond theme star soundtrack vibe to them. And I think that to me has has always been the thing that is resonated is that it just it's so unique and it has such a cool vibe that is almost you cannot duplicate this combination of artists. You can try. You can try to do the down tempo trip hop electronic sound, but you're not going to find someone that can sing like the way that Beth Gibbons sings and arranges her vocals. Um, There are people who have done that. Like I'm thinking of in terms of tapping into a, I guess a pre rock and roll sound would be like an Amy, Amy Winehouse but completely different musically from this. Yeah. So it's so uh, of its own that it's always really uh, occupied this space for me where like it, there, there's nobody else that ever did that. Even the other trip hop artists, when you're talking about tricky and massive attack, those being the, the UK ones that are predominantly well-known um, there are obviously others. They don't, they're not playing in the same space. There, there's a, you know, massive attack bounced around with, within their sound where sometimes they're doing these very dark, um, intense songs. And then some of them, they're, they're integrating some Jamaican, like the upstroke rhythms and, uh, the reggae, um, sound and then some some of the stuff is is very dream pop sounding whereas this sounds like a record 
like all the way through. This sounds like a single. Now there are some, you know, samples here and there that individualize the songs, but there's not a lot. Uh, I was trying to think of any, you know, similar artists that are in the same trip hop space. And there, there really isn't that I could think of. I mean, you have like more Chiba and an uncle and some of those other ones, but they kind of step outside that, or they get more up-tempo like Ronnie size. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, the thing that I love about this is just how unique it is without being complex and overly fussed over. Like they found really cool samples, combined them with some really interesting playing and have a great vocalist on top. It's, you know, it's like all the pieces are there. Yeah. Um, which what is what makes a really great band. Yeah. I've been, I've been uh, on the, I have um, not only the record, but I have, there's a remix single that I got way back in the day for Sour Times, but it has like, you know, seven different remixes of that and Glory Box. And um, I've, I, I used to play that, re, those remix singles on WFAL sometimes mm. instead of the actual single. So I was a, that big of a fan. I guess so. Record. Yeah. My goodness. Remix yeah. singles. You did. You had no idea. I didn't know that about you. No, no, this definitely like this album was my entree into trip hop. Like I did not listen to Massive Attack before this. Mm-hmm. And I then after this, I got Massive Attack and Ruby and Ronnie Size and some of the other artists, Uncle Mono. There's a the Mono record for Michael Blues is one of my favorite trip hop records. It's you know, it's a one off, but the band didn't do anything after that. Um and in fact there's another band called Mono now, so it's hard to find them. Yeah. Whose dreams are you gonna crush, Jay, with your one what didn't work for you? <laughs> well, it has it has a lot. Well, I would say half the record has trappings of uh, the early '90s. Um, so, like the really harsh edits on the loops, um, mm-hmm. particularly the drum loops, where it's like, okay, this is obviously cut. You know, it's supposed to sound like crudely cut tape, like that kind of stuff. Don't love. Um, there's some droney, like Wandering Star, just has like this droney mechanical sounding like bass note thing for most of the song there's just like two notes and it's uh, it doesn't really do and, and then i think what's worse is the i'm not a fan of the turntable stuff like that does not age well for me at all it just sounds like especially like wandering star it just sounds like looney tune effects like whoop, 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 whoop. it's like why is this on the song like i don't need that <laughs> like you're you're I, I don't know what that's adding it's not musical it's just like blips and blops which that pops in and out of the record um, quite a bit here and there that I don't quite get.
I think at the time it was like, ooh, they're combining, you know, turntables and rock and roll. And it was, you kind of forgive it. But now mm-hmm. time later, it's like, well, what is that there? I don't understand what, what the point is. So, and then I think oh, some of those songs just get kind of droney and they don't really go anywhere. Um, they tend to be more, so I'm thinking of like, Strangers, it could be sweet, wandering star, like that section of the record. Um, things become either drony or like it could be sweet. Almost gets to like too loungy and adult contemporary sounding. Like um it loses some of the kind of the the smoke and mystery and like dark feeling and gets a little too uh over the line and then all of a sudden it's like am i listening to a lisa stansfield record like what the fuck is this don't you mess Uh, with lisa stansfield (laughs) that's not who we're reviewing um i've been around the world and i i i I. (laughs) you know so it's those moments that i don't think it holds up particularly well i think it's supported by the other half of the record which is um like numb roads, it feels a little bit more organic. Um, the the loops are so, more subtle. It's a fire is another example. And I, I think sour times in glory box as well, where it's it's balanced better. It's more song oriented. You get um, you get the vibe that you in the in the tones from those vintage you know it's kind of sounding instruments without the artifacts of how it was constructed, you know, the obvious like vinyl um, popping and hiss with the, with the cuts that are layered on top of each other that but there's some novelty that there's like, you know, it can kind of put you in a mood, but then it's five minutes of that. Uh, I don't know that I need. Um, and then song after song, it, it kind of doesn't hold up great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot um, that works about this. And I think there's a lot of, uh, things that didn't age tremendously well for me. So I'm pretty Mm. split on this record. Hmm. I don't recall on the second record. If from what I understand on the second record, um, they produced it slightly differently. And I don't know if there's as much scratching on that record. It didn't bother me a ton. I definitely noticed it on Wandering Star um, and Biscuit. Yeah. But I think what worked for me, aside from the songs, I I knew Sour Times and I knew Glory Box because those were the singles. A song like Rhodes, which is a very subtle song, but hearing it now and hearing the way it builds and they bring in those strings. Yes. and And you have that little, very subtle guitar that's going on sounds like, you know, a, a movie soundtrack song. Yes. Um, and, and, and that works that's really well. That, that's a song in 94. I don't remember. And hearing it now, I was like, Oh, this is really good. Like, yeah, 
Rhodes, Rhodes holds up really well. Like, and I think it's, I would like to hear more of that approach on the record. Um, just that subtle Rhodes with the echo works really well. That jazz kind of sounding drum kit, just the focus on her vocal, you know, the thing that during the verses, things give her space, you know, it kind of quiets down and gets out of the way and you really get pulled into, um, that kind of falsetto that she's doing. and it goes somewhere um and, and the vocal performance is like very vulnerable sounding you know she almost sounds like weak um so i think it the rest of the the music seems to be tuned to that you know whereas in some mm-hmm. of the other stuff other music uh, other songs the music is a little tone deaf to what she's doing vocally it's like well here's the music bed sing over it this feels more like constructed together and around the vocal which to me is much more successful um, way to approach it. The only song that I literally did, I had trouble with where I was like, I don't, I don't think that this, I don't want to listen to this one, uh, is, is numb just because the pitch of that snare, yeah, that snare is awful. It's bad. Yeah. And I understand, I know it's a sample that they're pulling from somewhere. Yeah. But man, it does not age well. It's so no, overpowering in the mix. Yep. And it just hits you like a hammer to the head when you have headphones on. And it's too bad because if you listen to what, like on Mysterions, it's got a nice, you know, it's got that little flam thing going on with that song. Yep. And that, that's where the, the snare should be at. And it's just because it's, you know, they're pulling from samples. It's different. It's, it's different on each track. And that one to me is just where it's just egregiously bad. Um, which is too bad because there's, I mean, there's, there's interesting stuff on that song. I like the, uh, you know, there's a little bit like electric piano and some, I don't know what the sample is exactly. I like the intro. The intro kind of has, a, has that James Bond vibe again. I guess it's like um, an organ. Yeah. Not an electric piano. Yeah. I so, love all the organ and organ and electric piano stuff on the record. Oh, yeah, it's great. And that's what I, if I remember correctly, that's what was used a lot of on the second record. Mm. Is that. It was much less 
draw much less of like the hip hop, which I'm not opposed to hip hop. It's just it works weird. It's it sounds weird mixed in at times. Um, yeah. I don't mind it when there's like a, a very subtle scratch to like indicate the change of a of a bar, you know, the ending of one bar and going to another or something like that. But when it when it turns into like scratching over an entire section, yeah, that's where it like loses me. Yeah, a little indication here and there, you know, that um is fine. You and know, I, but I don't have a problem with the abrupt edits i think that's what gives some some of its unique quality is that it has these the sound is harsh i mean there is some really pretty stuff on the record like numb or it's like roads but then there's also you know some aggressive editing going on with regards to where things um where things end and, and how they end yeah so we don't have to talk about why this didn't do better. It did pretty good or did yeah. pretty well. It did. Yes. For what it is. I mean, just how different it is. Uh, it did, did just fine. Now in comparison, the, um, the next record per one of the reviews said it got darker, deeper and more disturbing. Hmm. So if you want a darker record, I do. Um, only you is another fantastic only you over. So, I mean, to me, I would probably be going with the next record. I'd go with the self-titled over this one, but sour times is such a great single that. Whereas the self-titled has like three really, really good singles, but it doesn't have a sour times. Um, but I would suggest checking it out if you like what they're doing from a, you know, uh, atmospheric sense. I feel like the next record gets pretty atmospheric in comparison. And that live, the Rosalind record is great with the string section. Um, so I'm, we gotta, we gotta talk about it, Jay. Where do you land? I am landing in an e- I'm landing in an EP. Um a very very solid EP. Mysterion's Sour Times and It's a Fire, Roads, and Glory Box. I think that's the strongest material on the record, the stuff that holds up the best. I think it gives you a very good feel for what the band is about and gets, you know, it it it, it gets the idea across to me and like makes me want more. It should be noted that It's a Fire is not on the UK version. It's only on the US version. Hmm. Which, I, I, again, why would you do that? Right. Why was that necessary? <laughs> and then stick it right in the middle of the record. It's a great <laughs> uh, I'm at a worthy album. I would trim Numb and Wandering Star. But I would keep it, I would have it at nine songs. Um, which incidentally would take me to a vinyl record because this is about a 50 minute album, which is just yeah. over the capacity of a vinyl record. But if you cut those two, boom, final record. True. Cause well, the, I guess they were, they were close to that in the UK then. Right. Yeah. They had the, song. the next record is also 50 minutes and it's a double album with like three songs per side. 
three songs plus or th- it's like three 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 two or something yeah. like that like it's a very spread out um record because of the fact that you know you can't really fit it correctly they could have just you know i guess put one of them on a seven inch <laughs> and thrown it in there i wonder if anybody's ever done that been like well we're three minutes over we'll just put the extra song on a seven inch instead of pressing a whole nother record <laughs> Jay, you're gonna you're gonna ruffle some feathers with your EP pick. I'm just letting you know that now. Just ruffle. You know. Sorry, that's what I do. That's what Jay does. I'm the shitster. He takes your beloved and he squashes them in his hands. He Look, squeezes. When I'm, re- when I'm reviewing the record, if I'm finding myself like wandering or not like I mean, I guess to the point where like I got through my, you know, uh three or four spins of this and it's like, okay, I think I've heard, like, I don't know that I want to listen to it a fifth time right now. But like, if I'm getting to that point or I'm not paying attention to the record, I got to be honest with you and start picking apart why that is. Oh, EP. the, the Rosalind live also was released on VHS, Jay. Oh, and it includes additional songs, not on the record, plus a short film. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think in the late 90s, wasn't everybody putting a VHS out? Pretty much. Yep. I'm interested in hearing the uh, orchestra versions of these. I would assume that would work better for me. Maybe. Perhaps, perhaps. We need to thank the suggestor of this record. Who was it, Jay? I forgot already. It was... Come on, mouse, work. It was Maria Michelangelo. Thank you, Maria. Great pick for which Jay will pay eternally. Uh, <laughs> uh, are there fans that pa- uh, passionate about this? No, this, I don't think this is. We get in trouble with the uh, this is niche not Nutramilk Hotel. You're not going to. OK. Yeah. Well, I survived Nutramilk Hotel. I can survive this. You did. That's true. You did. Yeah. No, there's no fervent, uh, you know, Portis headers. Or what would you what would they be called? I don't know. Would be that would be their fan club <laughs> nickname. The Portisers. P headers. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely P headers. I'm sure that's yeah, what the name is. The P Uh so if be like Maria, go to digmeoutpodcast.com, go to the link for suggest an album and throw a suggestion into the suggestion pool. And we will pluck it out and throw it into a poll on a future uh, post over at Patreon, which you can join by going to the DMOUnion.com website or the DigMeOutUnion.com website. That's where you help support the podcast. We do stuff like this. Our roundtables that we just did are voted on by our members at the uh, steering committee and board of directors member levels and um also you get our box newsletter if you are a patreon uh you know subscriber you can subscribe to the newsletter at our website and get a weekly uh email from us touting the latest releases jay i'm still waiting on your go-go's 
uh, <laughs> right up. It's been like three months now. Yeah. I, I, have we talked about how many hours it tells me to put, takes me to put that e- email together? <laughs> no. It, many. I thought that was all automated. No, no, no. Uh-oh. I mean, we've got many good tools in place on a nice workflow, but it still takes. I thought the little bit. robots did it. Like they, it they still built takes most of my Saturday uh, morning and afternoon. It's like the Fraggle happen. Rock robots. They're like constructing it behind the scenes, and then it just gets <laughs> shipped out. In those little uh, little dozers, those little glass tubes or whatever they built yep. things out of. Yep. I always thought Fraggles those would come just, along and. Smash I always them. thought those were candy. Weren't they? I don't know. Were they? I always thought about I eating thought I, them. I thought it was a metaphor for the crack epidemic in the 1980s <laughs> that they were crack pipes. <laughs> Little crack pipes they got from that weird garbage creature. Yes, the garbage heap. <laughs> he was the dealer. That would be a great <laughs> web series. Like a messed up version of crack, Fraggle Rock where they're... The little guys are constructing buildings out of crack pipes that they steal from the garbage heap. Oh, that's dark. Going real dark. Real dark. Uh, if you like this episode or any other ones, please consider leaving us some positive <laughs> feedback at Apple Podcasts, preferably if you're a fan of Fraggle Rock. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.